stay tuned for the Renewable Energy Hour coming up next. Uh, I'm Doug Livingston, host, and Alex Aragon is joining me as usual. And stay tuned for the Renewable Energy Hour right now. Good evening, Mendonesia. I'm Doug Livingston. This is the Renewable Energy Hour, and with me is my faithful co-host, Alex Aragon. How are you doing tonight, Alex? Hey, Doug. I'm doing all right. Am I going to get a good word in edgewise this time? Well, yeah, I'm going to let you do most of the talking. Oh wow! Oh my my fa- when I was when I was home in Ohio, my family cracked up when when I told them that you used to carry around a non functioning remote control for an old TV when we were teaching together, so you could symbolically mute me. That'll just throw it at you and get it over with. <laughs> so uh, we we uh, have a very loosely planned show today. There were a few things we wanted to talk about at first, but figure it wouldn't take up a, a ton of time. And, and it'd been a long time since we'd opened up the lines to listener Collins. So that's what we're going to do with most of the show today. Um, do you want to start with one of your little topics? Yeah, one of the one of the questions that's come up several times uh, recently has been uh, lithium battery recycling. Um, what's going on with it? How how available is it? Uh, it's still pretty expensive. Um, from what I've seen, it, it can be like as much as five times the cost of mining new, uh, or five times the energy uh, consumption of mining new material uh, when you're just going for the lithium. Uh, a lot of the uh, Metals and stuff that are in like lithium cobalt batteries, like uh, lithium nickel uh, type, where they have uh, the nastier materials, those are actually a little bit more desirable for recycling because the metals they get out of them are more valuable. Uh-huh. Uh, things like lithium iron phosphate, where it's more inert and a little bit more common, they don't get quite as much money for the recycling of them, but they are more of a non toxic. Uh, you know, material, but there is there is a lot of work being put in toward that. A lot of investments being put to try to make it more efficient. Uh, other countries, uh, other countries, even China, have uh, recycling programs that they've been pushing from the from you know from the state side of things. Um, whereas the United States still doesn't have any regulations or anything for that, uh, but it will be coming. Um, the uh, bigger thing that has been focused on is what. What do you do with the battery that's used up? Like, what does it mean for a battery to be used up? If you look at electric vehicles, um, you know, in, a, in a Tesla, for instance, when it charges up, it tells you how full the battery is percentage-wise, I guess, but it also tells you how many miles uh, you can get or you know, how you know, how much distance you can drive on that battery. And uh, over time, you get fewer and fewer miles on a full charge. You know, you could lose, like, you know, five five miles in several months or something like that or I don't know I don't know to drive a Tesla I've talked to some other people who do and they talk about how it degrades over time so eventually a car battery might not be able to drive as far as it once did but as a car battery when you're putting a load on it when you're driving you're really pulling a lot of current on that battery even though that battery might not be able to maintain enough uh, current to drive a vehicle, that battery is still going to be useful for other things. Uh, for instance, like a backup power for a home. Uh, you don't need to have you don't need to have the ability to draw 
you know, hundred percent of the battery's capacity in one moment. Uh, in order to like you know, give a fast start or anything like that, you can have lights on and such to draw uh, draw power out at a much lower rate and make it so that that battery would be able to deliver quite useful power still. So it's possible to be able to take batteries that have been used in cars or buses or something like that that are no longer you know, viable for getting the best uh, efficiency and the best uh, acceleration and distance out of a vehicle, you can still put it to be able to do backup to help, uh, you know, help help uh, with your time of use where you'd be able to not drop from the grid during the peak times. And you know, it, can, it can be used in many other ways. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be that the battery only has one, one life Purpose, anymore. Yeah. Well, they're also concerned in cars, you know, when you lose range that you know rank cranks up the range anxiety and there's also a a worse weight to kilowatt hour stored ratio as they age uh my general understanding is they they're often retired when they've dropped to something like 80 percent of their original capacity uh and that's still certainly very usable for you know battery backup and time of use uh, shuffling, which most people aren't on a rate structure. Well, that's worth it. But maybe maybe uh, you can get a used lithium-ion bank from a, from a retired car battery at a much cheaper price, and it might be more reasonable to do. Have you seen the market? Where, have you seen the market? Where do you find such things? Well, the market's being developed. Uh, I, was, I was perusing the Internet, finding different uh, programs that people are uh, interested in and looking for. And there's people who are actually, uh, there's groups who are actually looking to buy these batteries or they're offering to uh, take them off your hands in many cases for free. And mm-hmm. um, then they will go and repurpose these batteries. And, you know, I don't know if they're selling them or just putting them into use in their own places. But basically it's being seen that a battery that is dead for an electric vehicle still has a lot of life in it. So just because it's dead or not, you know, no longer viable for your car doesn't mean that battery is done. It has other uses that it can be put to. And so we might have different tiers of, of life cycle for these batteries. Uh, it certainly makes more sense than just junking them for, you know, scrap right away. Uh, you know, scrapping, scrapping these batteries, uh, a lot of the process of doing it is either... You know, shredding them, then like basically melting it down, burning it, basically treating it like ore, and uh, smelting the precious metals back out of it, or else uh, dipping it in acid baths and removing the materials you don't want, that sort of thing. So it's a really nasty, dirty process. So anytime you can put a battery into reuse rather than immediate recycle, you can get more life and more more use out of that same battery and so. lower lower footprint. Yeah, dead may not be dead. <laughs> it may be, okay, well, move it out to pasture, you know. <laughs> like, a, like an old racehorse or something like that, or you know, a horse that was able to really draw a big load. When it gets old, well, maybe it can be used to, you know, move you around <laughs> with someone on its back or something like that later. I don't know. Well, uh, I've, I've certainly gotten the impression from a number of news articles that there was already a substantial market for it, and I just have yet to see where it's happening. And how it's happening. Yeah. Well, from the bit of reading I was doing before, it sounds like it's something that's uh, being implemented elsewhere more than it is in the United States. Surprise, surprise. Well, we haven't had as many electric vehicles out for as long yet as many other more progressive places. 
Yeah. It'll be an interesting times. And that, uh, that also brings me to another subject. Uh, well, it was a month ago now we had uh, some people on that were talking about electric vehicle charging stations. And one of the things that came up was uh, how so many of the electric vehicle stations are uh, by Tesla. And uh, I heard somebody bemoaning the fact that, you know, it was mostly for this one company, but Tesla really had a lot of outreach and really put out, you know, uh, looking for places to put their equipment. Now, uh, I did a couple installations where um, Tesla had actually offered the equipment plus a stipend, uh, or not a stipend, plus a, uh, you know, plus uh, some money going toward the installation. Uh, I think it was like, it was something like $1,500 or something like that, uh, plus they would give us the equipment. Uh, and, uh, hopefully the installation could be covered in $1,500. Uh, and we were giving that to businesses uh, with the idea that the business would you know, be giving away power so people could come and charge uh, just to, to uh, have a draw, a reason why people would want to come park there and use that business. Uh, but also, you know, just, just getting the chargers out there. Now, there's other, there's a, there's a, we, need to get, we need to get somebody uh, to interview about putting electric vehicle chargers. I think I found a lead for someone I want to bring on that I haven't developed that yet, but I think it's really going to be worthwhile to do a show on that. Yeah, uh, that's key. And there's a bunch, the of, bunch of funds in the uh, infrastructure bill, if it ever gets passed, um, for the federal government to help push charging stations out. Yeah, one of the things that I do have a little bit of uh, concern about, though, is how since a lot of the uh, charging stations that did go in were Tesla, some of those are on public lands. Um, those are places that are now dedicated to a particular company. Yeah. Now, if you have parking spots that are designated Tesla-only charging stations, you can now have public land that is dedicated for Tesla vehicles only. I don't think that's right. I think we've got to figure out ways to make uh, these chargers. I think some of the chargers are more, you know... More universal. universal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Tesla pulled, to Tesla pulled an apple on us. Yeah, exactly. But uh got to be careful when you're giving away real estate to dedicate it to, you know, a product. Anyway, so, yeah, I was just going to say, though, it's, I don't consider Tesla to be the evil, you know, big, overreaching company for doing what they did. They just, they really seem to have a lot more capital to do the original, you know, outreach and really well, put the chargers in there. They were the only, up there. only player for a while. We didn't have yeah. any other viable electric vehicles in the U.S. other than Tesla for some time. Yeah, and hopefully at some point they could, uh... <laughs> think that, hey, maybe they've got enough market share and can actually start opening up and be more universal. Perhaps. uh, Or we just uh, have a whole bunch of others, you know, 10 times as many slots in those same public lands dedicated to the more universal charging plugs. Yeah. I'd be kind of interested to hear from uh, any listeners who drive Teslas about their... um, about their battery life and how it's uh, been degrading over the time they've owned it. And, you know, yeah. how, how bad is it? Like, are you losing, you know, noticeable percentages? Are you losing quite a bit of range? Or just like, you know, you're losing five miles on a total charge over, you know, a year? Or what kind of, what I kind had, of degradation? 
I did I did have a conversation, I guess it's coming up on two years ago now, with a driver of a Honda Insight. Do you remember those? The little skinny, sporty two-seaters that came out, what, 20 years ago? Um, and he said he's, he's, uh, he's on his third bank. But that is over presumably 20 years or so. Yeah, so seven-ish years. Yeah, but he said they were very expensive to replace. Do you know what that means? I do do not know. We didn't have long enough to have a good conversation. It was with a fellow on his way into the local public school. He had had to get, but... Mendocino College, by the way, uh, the uh, auto shop there, uh, his son is... Uh, doing the auto repair um, classes. So they've just received a uh, large grant. They're going to be building a, uh, a separate building for electric vehicle uh, workshops and such. So if you're interested in getting uh, training in on being able to fix electric vehicles, that's going to be coming up in a year or so. Uh, they're also uh, developing more in their hybrid uh, in their hybrid uh, program as well. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely keeping up with uh, the times and work on expanding their offerings. Well, my understanding is there's a lot less maintenance to do on electric vehicles. Yeah, there is. Uh, <laughs> there's still some stuff you can uh, to, you know, do with them. Like all cars have suspension. <laughs> you know, they all have brakes and alignment issues and all that kind of stuff. So my son was actually talking about that. He was looking at becoming a mechanic and uh, you know, professionally. And, uh he was thinking about that, like, what, what are we going to do with engines and transmissions? Uh, just work on classic cars, you know? <laughs> uh, so he's thinking about it. Yeah, well, okay, body work, uh, paint kind of stuff, uh, you know, small electronics, figuring out, uh, you know, what's going on with signals and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, uh, window rollers, all, all small electronic stuff, but also the suspension of the vehicles. Um, that's going to be a nope. part that's going to continue. We're already getting multiple calls. Uh, you want to open up the lines? Yeah, I'm sure our listeners can. All that. right. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, great topic. You guys are doing great. Great to hear you. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering about the recycling aspect of these batteries. And when you purchase a, a used battery, pretty well worn, that burden becomes your burden to get that battery through its recycling process and uh, safely and I'm just wondering if how that math fits in with the, the economy of buying a very a very used battery oh shoot Alex you got any insight there I think right now you're still just taking it to I'm the local alright I, th- I think you're still taking it to the local you know battery recycling transfer station well, there's going to be a different. Uh, there's going to be different uh, pathways for recycling. Like you know, right now, if you go to recyclery, most of them are still doing lead acid. And if you want to get a different chemistry recycled, there's other phone numbers you need to call and other places you need to hook up with. And uh, if if you have a lot of batteries, you know, depending upon your weight and how much you know you have, you can get different uh, companies more interested in driving all the way up to Mendocino County to pick up your used stuff. If you have enough, you know, it might be free. If you, if you don't, then it might be the kind of thing where it needs to be held until it gets to be batched and make it worthwhile for someone. But, um, 
these batteries can be good for is for powering lights at night. Uh, you know, you could have a battery that you could set into, you know, a box so it would be able to keep, you know, just a light on, you know, some LED lights on for the parking lot. And that would even be useful. And if it was, you know, further down in the, in the chain of how many times this battery has been used for different purposes, that would still be a useful, you know, a useful, you know, thing for it to do before it gets crunched. I, th- I think we have a patient caller waiting in the wings. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. I have a question about using a, a retired uh, but still functional EV battery. They're usually several hundred volts. Don't you have to disassemble them and rebuild them to make a 24 or 48 or 12-volt battery system? You can do that. There are actually several hundred-volt inverters out there. There's some legality issues around that, however, in an American residence. Um, do, do you do you know how people go about that, Alex? Well, there's lots of different uh, configurations of batteries, like the prismatic cells or rather the one type of uh, you know cell construction. They're pretty big, and it's not difficult for someone with you know technical knowledge to be able to disassemble a battery and uh, you know, reconfigure it in different voltages, whatever. I mean, you know, I, I know something about batteries, so it's not like it's not a real daunting task to me to be able to take apart a prismatic cell battery, but some of the other batteries, like the um, little tiny C cells, yeah, little tiny cylindrical cells where they're soldered together, that's, that's a bit more of a challenge to me. Um, well, there's a battery management system, and you would be breaking into that. Well, yeah, the battery management system is like the, you know, some people call it the charge controller or whatever for that particular battery. It's a, it's a separate electronic piece. And it's actually you know pretty easy to separate from a battery you're disassembling, but it's something you don't want to, like, just dive into unless you are familiar with and know what you're doing, you know, it's, it's definitely going to take some expertise to be messing with high voltage batteries, and you know you, you, you can hurt yourself uh, by discharging the battery uh, and accidentally. So it's not something just to you know to play around with. It's something you want to you want to know what you're doing before you start digging into it. So you hear that, Mendocino Community College? Maybe there's another course topic uh, to pursue. Let's get somebody who's you know well trained and and does this full time. Well, I think I'm going to stick with lead acid <laughs> for a few years. Yeah, but well, I, I understand. Those lead acid batteries uh, don't don't uh, don't uh, ignore their dangers and their hassles and everything. I've got so many pairs of pants that have been burnt holes through it, and I've lost some lung capacity from bleeding fumes over the years. So, uh, lead acid is not safe. <laughs> it's, it's got its own issues for sure. Uh, lithium's new technology, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good to it, a lot of stuff that's you know easier to handle and easier to deal with. I'm not logging around nearly as much weight as I used to with uh, lead acid batteries, and I've never had a spill with uh, any lithium batteries. Whereas you know dealing with lead acid for years, you know stuff happens. Um, well, my batteries stay put for ten years. Yeah, I'm not, even, I'm not dragging them around. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully we don't, but. I have a couple of 12-volt, uh, uh, 20 ampere hour lithium ferrous phosphate batteries to power my ham radio gear when I'm not in a car. 
They're pretty yeah. slick. They're very, they're very compact. You, you're probably five times wider than the equivalent red ass. Yeah, yeah. They okay, probably do uh, it better. Okay, uh, I like your show. Carry on. Hey, thank Bye-bye. you. Take care. Thanks for the call. And I haven't ever announced it. For those of you who don't have it memorized, our phone number is 895-2448. That's the 707 area code if you want to join the conversation. And it doesn't have to be about uh, recycling batteries or electric cars. You can talk about any related renewable energy topic. You might even... Uh, just, uh, you know, want to sell your old inverter that you just upgraded or something like that. We can treat it as trading time for renewable energy. Here's another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I was going to talk about a different kind of energy storage. Okay. What's that? Um, they have some type of spring storage, you know, so you can wind up springs. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty volatile, but also I created a way to basically run a house, all the electric motors in it, the washing machine and um, whatever you have, you know, air conditioning or whatever, all the electric motors. And I can run it off of rubber bands. And um, you have to build the equipment that it runs to run off the rubber bands, but um, it still can be done. It's pretty easy. And rubber bands is actually taking the carbon out of the air and putting it into the battery storage. And I can't get any funding for this, and I can't figure out any way to do it on my own because I'm uh, how do you, limited how, funded. How do you recharge the rubber bands? Do you have to sit there and pedal a bike for solar half an hour? Wind, solar energy with uh, one electric motor. You don't need a battery. But wind energy and any kind of water movement and um, exercise, everything that any kind of movement that you can think of can be put right into the system and keep the battery charged. Have, have you ever it's, measured the round-trip efficiency of your rubber band systems? I can't afford to make one myself because um, I'm poor. And believe it or not, when you go to make a prototype of something, it's expensive. It's not cheap. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can do it fairly cheap, but not within my range. So I was wondering, if, is there a place of researcher that would do it? It's, anybody can do it. It's a simple idea. It's maybe, not hard at all. Maybe you should approach Mendocino College and see if they got some student who'd be fired up to try and experiment along those lines. Um, I did take it to colleges. They wanted to. They said they would have to study it. Is the best response I got. And when I showed one person, one of the um, he under I could see he understood what I was putting out there, and he said, "I can't. Talk, I won't talk. To, won't talk about this with you." So as if it was too big of a um, idea to even approach, you know, because it would change everything. And I do have one. I believe I could put in a car that would take one person about ten miles. Wild. Alex, you know, one, one thing that is similar, though, uh, is compressed air. Uh, uh, I can't hear you. Uh, he was saying compressed air. compressed air is a sort of similar to your rubber band idea that was a way of storing yeah, energy. But no, no. Well, compressed air is really hard to contain. And if it does blow, you know, if you get in an accident and you blow one of those canisters, it's extremely volatile. Yeah. 
So is the electricity. It's also noisy. Everybody's trying these weird ideas like um, flywheels and stuff. That's volatile too. Mm-hmm. You know, batteries are volatile. Is, Dams are volatile. Batteries are. Yeah, any battery, like you're saying, recycling is volatile. They're not a common thing and a normal thing to go back into nature. Plus, they're extremely hard to roll on an accident with a Tesla or something. You can't put water on them. They catch fire easy. You can get electrocuted. There's plenty of problems with electricity. But this mine is totally organic, clean, and it's totally, as long as you charge it with clean stuff, it's 100% clean once you've got it made. Can you, can and it's very little footprint making the rubber. Can you, can you work on a lot a, of people to work. Can you work on a small prototype that you could afford to do? Yes, I got one almost done in my car right now, but I'm living in my car. So I've almost got it done, but I still have some things you can't. When you're making a prototype, if it's something that nobody has, it's hard to get parts. Yeah. You have to actually make each and every part. So I've got it down to where I'm just about done with a small thing just to demonstrate. Well, that may, that, be, that may be the critical step for you, once you have that. No, it is the critical step, because no one wants to look at it unless it's a completed thing. Right. If I had a completed thing, I wouldn't need the money. <laughs> That's the point. It's regarded the way they work this. But this is the most efficient, cleanest. Well, we don't know how efficient most, it is, because you haven't done it yet. Right. So I'm saying, instead of typing on electricity, ask out there for people with more ideas that can be cleaner, or is there some way that some plant we can be grown that can actually turn in, into something that you can hold electricity in? Because if you could start growing batteries, it becomes a renewable substance, and then it eliminates the fight for the ground that you're digging up everywhere, and you can get people to work, and one place becomes its own entity, making the stuff for all the other people. That, w- that would be cool. Ideas. That would be cool. Well, anyway, I like your show, and thanks for listening. All right. Good, and I love to the colleges. I've given up because I've taken it to some don't, people. Don't give up. Get that they, Get that one demonstration one done. Yeah, when I do that, I don't know what to do with it anyway. Uh, well, then, then then, you call in, and we'll tell you what measurements to make so you can talk about its efficiency. No, I can't. Like I, the only way to do measurements and stuff with what I've got is to have a lab that I can actually oh. function in and actually have stuff that I can measure with. We, you know, we, we, could, prob- we could probably help you with that. You got a you got a clock? You got a known weight? What? We could start working on something. Who do I talk to? Well, call in on the show after you get it after you get it done. Well, I mean, who would I talk to on the show? Uh, what, what name would I use? Me. Me? Call in and say, can I talk to me? <laughs> to, uh, to Doug Livingston. Doug the, Livingston. I'm the host. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know your name. All right. I, I never. I only pay attention to the actual functioning of what's going on, and yeah. all I cared about was that you all talked about batteries as if they're the godsend of electric you know, storage, I, and they're really. They're, they're, the worst thing. Oh yeah, we. It's the extinction level event, but it's a slow burn. <laughs> We're going to die because of electricity unless uh, we cut it out. I'm more worried about the combustion engine, but... Uh, oh, that'll go away because we'll stop doing that, but we have to go to something other than electricity to get away from both of those. All right. All right, well, thanks a lot. My name's Jeff. 
All right. Good luck. Thanks for having the show. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. Bye-bye. 895-2448. We got open lines at the moment. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a real crazy idea. Like, can you imagine, like, uh, having a vehicle, like, these coaches where you get a big old tank and you put this explosive flammable fuel inside of it? <laughs> you go drive down the road? And it runs off like, of, uh, you know, 10,000 explosions a minute? Oh, wow. <laughs> Hello, Collie. You're live on the Renewable Energy Hour. <laughs> All right. So um, if I got this right, the last caller was going to wind up a rubber band using um, non-fossil fuels, and then that was going to be his battery as it unwound. You could yep. get Yep. I love it. <laughs> in theory, it's, it certainly works. And, and I'd like to see some numbers. You've got an offer that I would kill for. These guys are going to help you. I, I have a couple ideas that I want them to help me with. If, they, if this guy, if you, if these guys made you an offer, if you're listening, Jeff, do whatever it takes to get back and finish your idea. It's yeah. a good idea. I have one on YouTube. I sold it in stores for a while. The only person that bought it was Monsanto, and I gave up. But, um, don't give up. I made a mistake. I was just ahead of the market a little bit. Um, and if I brought it out today, I'd probably get rich from it. But, of course, I was stupid and showed everyone my ideas. Um, and it's on YouTube. So you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can go and take my idea anytime you want. And uh, not, not really, patented. This is a... Go ahead. I said not patented. Well, it doesn't need to be. You can't yeah. patent air or sun uh, or rubber bands. And hey, that's they, fine. If they he's can, first to the market, he'll win. They can patent plants at Monsanto. Well, that's them. We're just regular old people. Yeah. And uh, they can't patent rubber bands anyway. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> and, the, and the idea's been done. I used to play with my rubber band airplane. Me too. It seems like a perfectly feasible idea, and I love it that you guys didn't just shut them down. What a great show. Thank All you right. very much. Hey, thanks for the encouragement. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, if you guys would like to uh, check a, a curious uh, thing that I saw when I was up in Portland recently, uh, bike P-N-E-U-B-I-K-E. That's uh, new, like pneumatic bike, P-N-E-U-B-I-K-E. You look that up online. Uh, right now, you pop up with a photograph or a picture of this guy's pneumatic bicycle that he built. He was riding around in town with. He's got uh, two different pistons and a, and a, and a um, you know, compressed cylinder. Uh, he's driving this thing around town. So he just uh, charges it up with an air compressor at home? Yeah, with an air compressor at home. And he was driving. He said, I think he said he could do about eight miles on uh, one tank. Did you? Did, uh, did, was there audio? What's that? Was there audio? Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that was one of the biggest complaints about the air car that was trying to make its inroads here. Hey, we got a oh, yeah. we got a patient caller listening in on in the background. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hey, sorry, double dip. I did want to say that I do have a rubber pan, a rubber band powered vehicle that I uh, years ago I paid around three dollars for it, and I think it's. Probably doubled, doubled in value. The balsa wood? wood? And it can go... Uh, yeah, we were just talking about it. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. It could <laughs> almost go free. But there was also a company in Berkeley back in the 80s that made rubber band motors, 
which was these wire bent motors that had little crankshafts that you could hit, hook up either three or four rubber bands to it and actually power a slightly larger model airplane with it. So anyway, I'm, I'm totally entertained. Uh, keep it up. I, I, I totally love this. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oop, and we just had another caller uh, who was trying to get in, who dropped out. Maybe that's them again. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, I was always interested in hydropower or hydrofuel vehicles. And I was wondering, what do you know about them and their storage? Is that cleaner than electric? Cause hydro? You mean hydro? You mean hydrogen? Hydrogen powered, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fairly expensive. Um, uh, they're typically running off of a fuel cell. Um, well, the fuel cell is what's converting the hydrogen back into electricity, um, and those are fairly expensive, typically, you know, platinum catalyst membranes. Um, not catalyst, but uh, but they're fairly expensive. Uh, and the efficiency is not super good. It's, it's you know, certainly as good as, as pumped storage. Um, but... Uh, it can be very, very clean, or it can be very, very dirty. Oh. Uh, the question is, where did the hydrogen come from? If the hydrogen came from the same place that most American hydrogen available today comes from, which is an uh, uh, energy-intensive process that converts natural gas into hydrogen and uh -oh. emits a ton of carbon dioxide, then I say, uh -huh. I say, eh. but... Uh, there's an alternative. You can make hydrogen, not hugely efficiently, but you can make hydrogen from water with electricity. Yeah. And, and that can be a very clean source. And I'm imagining a day when we'll have more solar installed than the grid can consume many, okay. many times during the week. And currently, those solar plants are just shutting down and turning oh. off. When when the grid's demand is met and there's enough solar out there to do it, and uh, and so I imagine you know some of these big solar farms that you know have more energy available than they're able to put onto the grid uh, start sending some of that energy into oh, who cares if it's a little less efficient into into making hydrogen and making hydrogen that way instead of from natural gas. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It would be from solar. You know, this is from the seventies and from Mother Earth news. <laughs> oh, they they probably were not. They probably were not talking about uh, uh, fuel cells back then. And this is certainly well, not. They, they, that was their issue. But they had a, a, a some idea. There was a couple of articles on it, and they did have the ideas of them. But I heard, and I don't know if this was from there that. The patents for those were bought up. Oh um, yeah, all so the all the secret really stuff. All the secret stuff just... always gets bought up. No, that I I'm I'm not on that conspiracy theory. It was okay. just it was just always <laughs> a matter of cost and and uh, and and they may have been looking at using a regular old combustion engine. You can do that with hydrogen too. 
No, these were fuel cells, and there was some. There was this kind of spongy material that they were putting in the fuel cells that held the hydrogen. Oh, that wasn't that wasn't in that wasn't in the fuel cell. That wasn't in the fuel cell. That was in the storage. uh, You know, the gas tank, basically. And also Toyota, and I. This is unfortunate, but about a year and a half or two years ago, they said they were dedicating. Their line, their company for hydrogen fuel cell, and they're actually cars. fighting the electric market. Yeah, but the electric market has since gotten so big and more mainstream. Yeah. Maybe they gave that up. No, they're still there, but they're they're going to regret that decision. I think they they can embrace both, put their eggs in both baskets. Uh, yeah, they will. Right, yeah. they already have. Well, they already have in a sense because they were the pioneers of the hybrid, which really, right. really was yeah. the, the closest thing to an electric car that any American saw for ten years. Yeah. Well, anyways, thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. I like the explanations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> bye bye. So, Alex, have you ever seen a, a fuel cell car? I've seen one, but. Uh you know, there's mostly just prototype stuff. Yeah. Well, no, um, Toyota's actually making one, and it's on the market. Where the hell you huh. Where the hell you fill up? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there was a time when there were gas stations everywhere too. That's so. true. That's true. But there were oat fields everywhere. Right. <laughs> the horse. One of the, one of the other things that we talked about uh, not too long ago when we were talking about uh, grid stability. Was the need for being able to uh, use electricity from the grid when there's excess, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I was talking about uh, the ability to store uh, energy thermally. You know, if you wanted to be able to, you know, save some heat, uh, there's actually this whole thing they're calling it PES, which is you know thermal energy storage. Uh, there's a bunch of different. Uh, Companies that have been working on it, like Viking Cold Solutions, uh, Siemens, Cantia, uh, a bunch of other uh, companies, Danfoss, they've been working on uh, ways to basically store heated, you know, heated or cooled energy, so you could use it, um, you know, to, to heat or cool your place uh, as you need, but you could use the electricity from the grid during off-peak hours. So it's, it's definitely some of the solutions that we have. You know, it's not just we're not just going to have one yeah, solution. Many many so, different baskets for eggs. Right, right, right. And, and but uh, yeah, the PES, the thermal energy storage, something to look into. And there's actually a lot of uh, different ways to do it that aren't necessarily you know go out and buy products. You can actually uh, you know, do a do some home hacks on how to make these work. Yeah, I got. I remember a a fellow in uh, Wisconsin twenty five plus years ago who was building houses with a you know a six or ten foot deep sand bed where a basement would be, and uh, and they would heat up the the sand with uh, solar thermal loops all summer long and. About the time they had it sized just right, so about the time that uh, that the heat would get to the top of the sand and the bottom of your floor and your first floor, it was you know coming into the heating season. 
That would be great as long as you didn't get it wrong. Yeah, if you got it wrong, it's a oops. Yeah. Oh my God! It's it's the floor is hot and it's August fifteenth. Got ninety five degree floor in September. No, thank you. Well, we still have uh, a little more than 15 minutes left. Anybody else wants to join the conversation? It's uh, 707-895-2448. In the absence of a call, I, I, I told you I had another interesting battery issue today that I'd never encountered before. Um, it was, oh, we'll let the caller take precedence over my one-off battery experience. Hello, caller. You're live on the Renewable Energy Hour. Hi, I, I would like to see a, a off-the-shelf electrolyzer that solar people with solar systems could use to make hydrogen to cook with. You I'm tired of burning methane. Yep, you can cook with it. Uh, I think part of the issue there and why it's not off the shelf is is some of the liability issues. Uh, hydrogen is a a little scarier to deal with than methane. And methane, methane can be scary enough, but I've, I've actually been suggesting that to people for 10 years, you know, what would it take to, you know, and now we have, you know, solar systems that can turn on something like that when the batteries are overflowing. So whenever you're about to start wasting your off-grid solar power, you could be turning on your electrolyzer and, and making a, a heating fuel or cooking fuel or water heating fuel. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward technology. Just look up electrolysis. You probably make your own. Uh, yeah, I'm a little afraid of the hydrogen. Too. Yeah, that's. I think so are the lawyers, and that's why you're not seeing an off-the-shelf example. And in terms of thermal storage, I read in Popular Science many years ago about a project in Sweden, I think, where they used disodium sulfide to. St- energy it was a phase change system yeah there was there was quite a bit of phase change experimentation that went on well, there were a couple of problematic issues and you know in theory it works great and in practice it worked pretty well uh, but in order to tune them so that the phase change took place at the right temperature they would have to mix different ones and uh, and they tended to change over the years and it would shift and that, oh, no. that was problematic. Um, at least that's my memory of such things. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of just, you know, a bunch of water. Water holds a remarkable amount of heat per, per volume or per weight. Yep, yep. Okay. Hey, thanks for the suggestion. Mm, bye-bye. Lines are full. Hello, caller. You're live on the Renewable Energy Hour. Uh, hi. Um, there's something that I haven't heard mentioned yet on, on your shows is passive solar, um, like solar gain from a, a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we lived in New Mexico, we had a trom wall, yep. um, which kept uh, kept our bedroom really, really toasty. And then we, the way we vented it, it would uh, we could lift up these panels and it would vent uh, uh, hot air out during the summer. It wouldn't come in. Yep, yep. And, I, lived, uh, yeah. I lived with a trom wall in the in the early eighties. And, and it was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. For, for those of you who don't understand the word, uh, it was basically a vertical wall facing south. And 
typically had some glazing in front of it, although it didn't have to. Um, yeah, I always had glazing. And and there would be, you know, some receiving wall, like, you know, it might be as simple as cement block, and that would warm up under the, under the summer sun, and the cement block would have tubes in the middle that would run up and feed into the first or second story of the house uh, by convection, and there would be return ducts, you know, on the floor and yeah. on the north side that would return it back to the base, and so the, the air would just circulate around, heating the yeah. house in the wintertime. And as you said, you didn't want that happening in the summertime, so, no. so you would, you know, throw a louver that would, you know, send it outside. In, uh, in so it could just be driven by convection? Yeah, it was typically just driven by convection. Yeah. In, in northern New Mexico, and not too far from where I lived, we lived in a place called La Puebla, about 30 miles from Abiquiu, and they there was a, um, a Muslim community there, and the builder uh, who built our house was part of that. And they had all the houses there were built um, uh, in around passive solar. I mean, we had... Passive solar and 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 lots of thermal storage. Yeah, and we had a, our house was uh, built of pumice crete with foot thick walls. Mm-hmm. So in the summertime it stayed uh, cool, and in the wintertime it mm-hmm. uh, it got warm. You know, it's uh, it's um, you know, there's lots of things that you can do that will keep your energy bill down. Yeah, particularly uh, if you're in a if you're in a very dry climate. Yes. Where yeah. where the temperature extremes, you know, are pretty severe on the same day. Yeah. And so I there was cold, cold at night. Here, and, but there's still a few things that yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's great technology there. And, yes, it has been uh, a number of years since we've had a show on passive solar. We, we have done them before, but it's been a while. Okay. Well, thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. Okay. Bye-bye. And a little trip down memory lane. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi, this is Bill. Hey, Bill. I made hydrogen when I was 12 with that big old giant battery and some copper wires. And a little bit of, what, zinc and copper or something? This is copper wires inside water. It was just copper. Huh, all right. But it disappeared in, like, minutes. Oh, yeah. The copper got eaten. So where's the corrosion go in the electrolysis? What happens? Are we using palladium or what? It's it's probably going into the, the solution. Um. Well, then your solution's got to be changed. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh... And it's not going to be pretty. It's not something you probably want to put on your plants. Copper, yeah. sulfate. Oh, some, some stuff might like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm surprised that the copper dissolved that fast. Um, oh, yeah. No, it was gone. Yeah. And, uh, I just... Yeah, I bet you. I bet you they're using you know platinum or palladium or something exotic for the ones that last and last. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I'm curious. If now. it's platinum or palladium, check your. You know, uh, you can buy. Um, you can trade in a gold coin and get about a gram of each. I mean, it's expensive. Or you, or you could go. You know, cut off somebody's catalytic converter. Oh yeah, I get. Maybe that's where they're going. <laughs> yeah, they're going into homemade. Um, Homemade hydrogen. hydrogen electrolysis? No. Not, the, I, I hear it's the, really these guys aren't that smart. Best. I don't know if that has something to do with it. They're, they're just selling it for its salvage value. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I will have to do some homework, Bill. All right. Yeah, where's the corrosion and what, you know, something has to give it in the classic arrangement. Now, who knows what could be. But. 
Yeah, I've actually seen electrolysis systems where the metal wasn't disappearing. So you had a very simple experiment that yeah. that All right. that was vulnerable to that. <laughs> but I'll I'll look and and try to give a report on on how it's done these days. All right. All right. Thanks for the call. Well, we got time for a couple more calls. Eight nine five two four four eight. And if nobody calls, you're going to have to hear my battery story today. Oh, I hear it. All right. Nobody called. Uh, it was very strange. Uh, uh, it was actually Mary Agner, a uh, longtime program director here at KZYX. Um, had a few since her, but I think she holds the record for duration. Um, but uh, they, they thought their batteries weren't charging. They kept getting low-voltage shutdowns in their off-grid home. Um, and uh, I finally got her partner, Hugh, on the phone and... and had him tell me what the charge controllers were saying and doing, and, and it all looked good. You know, battery voltage was good and high, and the charge controllers were working. They thought the batteries weren't charging, so they thought there was something wrong with the charge controllers. And, and I asked him to describe, well, what was happening? Well, we can run it off the generator. We can run the house off the generator, where the generator was passing through the inverter to the house. But as soon as, you know, they turn off the generator, the, the system crashes. I said, what do you mean crashes? Well, well it gets a low-voltage shutdown. And I said, oh, okay, go look at your inverter control. There's something going on with the inverter. And uh, and he, uh, you know, told me that, yeah, it, it, it turns on, and then suddenly there's a low-voltage shutdown, and then that goes away, and it turns on again. There's a low-voltage shutdown. And I said, oh, God, that sounds like just a loose connection, a high-resistance point between the batteries and the inverter. And had him check, you know, make sure all his cables were tight and whatnot. And... And we didn't find it over the phone, and I offered to come up and, and came up and looked for loose connections and didn't find them and started measuring the voltage, you know, while he turned on a load, you know, at the various different contact points I could make from the inverters, DC terminals, backwards toward the battery and got all the way to the battery and discovered, you know, the actual battery bank was, you know, there, 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 and then suddenly gone. Um... And it was the strangest thing, and, you know, I started looking at individual batteries, and I found two batteries that, you know, when he would turn the toaster on, it was, you know, full voltage, same as everybody else, uh, but then he turned the, the, the toaster on, it would drop a little bit, and, and then all of a sudden it would drop to near zero volts. Huh. And, uh, and then come back when the inverter shut down. And, and near as I can tell, there was something, you know, changing shape in terms of the plates inside the battery that, uh, that when it was under load, uh, the shape would change and the positive and negative plates would make contact. It, it was pretty clear to me that there was an internal short inside the battery that only happened under load. Did not happen while being charged. And, and in fact, when I, I was testing the electrolytes of the batteries, expecting to find some, you know, classic dead cell with, you know, 1.0 specific gravity, and they were all great specific gravity, indicating they were fully charged. And they would still crash to near zero volts after, you know, several seconds of running a, a sizable load. Um, and, and then they would come back to full voltage, damn near as fast. 
and I'd never seen anything like that. And I, when I had the battery caps off, uh, and the inverter was in seek mode, you know, periodically sending out a pulse, so it was drawing from the battery bank every couple of seconds, uh, I could hear a buzz in time with the seek pulse inside the battery. And I've never seen I've never seen that hit before. So it was fairly bizarre on all fronts. But my my best guess is there's some sort of warping that was happening when it was under load that was causing a a a, a barely short circuit between plates. That's my theory, anyhow. That just sounds really scary. Yeah, yeah. I I I once I I started hearing that and. And what I'd learned so far, I pulled those two batteries out of the system and rewired the batteries so that, you know, they had half capacity that they had before and said, these are dead, and in fact, I believe they are dangerous. Um, <laughs> Good note. And, and limp, yeah. limp along on your half battery capacity bank uh, for as long as you can tolerate it and then replace the whole bank. Well, let, me, let me just mention really quick how grateful I am to new battery technologies that I can wire batteries and can do all the connections with them turned off. <laughs> yeah, yes, with them turned off. Now now we need that same technology on solar panels. Right, right. <laughs> Although solar panels aren't nearly as scary as batteries are. No. <laughs> I don't mind showing a solar panel. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, no batteries. Sounds scary, but you know, solar panel short circuits to what ten percent higher than its normal running amperage, and a battery, a battery short circuits to ten thousand wow. times what its normal running wattage is. Okay, we suddenly have full lines. That's all we have to do, Alex, is start talking, and and people will call in to shut us up. Hello, Tali. You're live on the air. Don't have much time. Hi. Hi, um, I'm curious, uh, is there a way to integrate two different battery banks into one solar inverter system? I have an aging battery bank set up and, uh, have an opportunity to get one of these, uh, you may have seen these solar trailers that went on auction sometime in the past year. Um, uh, usually it's very hard to do in a way that doesn't kill both battery banks fairly quickly. Would you concur on that, Alex? Yes, although if you have two Sunny Island systems, it is possible to have each Sunny Island and her on a separate battery. On a different battery. Uh, and so if you have one of the separate inverter on a separate battery and it can integrate into my household power system with some other device? It's not It's not a simple little thing to do. Uh, definitely you got to like, know what you're doing with the inverters particular, you know, how it works. Basically, the inverters will have to AC couple to each other, so you got to figure out what that means and how that works, but then each each inverter can manage its own battery. In that case, you can have different types of battery banks. May, may not be worth it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hot rotting the system. It's hot rotting. you got to do some homework. Hello, caller. We may only have a minute. What's up? Well, when we first uh, put our first uh, solar system together, we got used panels that were about 10 years old then. Some of them had fractured glass in the front and two uh, car batteries that we still have. 
and uh, three tenths aluminum wire, and we ran it 40 feet from the house, and then uh, some 10-2 braided together for the positive, and we ran our house for several years on that. We were into it with the price of the controller under under a hundred dollars, and it still works. It sounds, still works. sounds like my first so, solar system, but we were only running four fluorescent lights and a car stereo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be done. Thanks. We yeah, bet. yeah. Keep it going. Bye-bye. All right. So. I want to remind people that you've been listening to the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston, and my co-host is Alex Aragon. We're still having trouble with Skype, so Alex is still a little fuzzy on on the phone connection. But uh, we'll try to get that straightened out for our next show two weeks from now. Good night, Alex. Good night, Doug. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.